Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, July 23rd. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 49, very last paragraph starting with we who have traveled. Today's readers are Rick, Devorah, Kim, and Paula. The reference number for Monday, July 22nd, is 4828. That's 4828. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Philomena to read the 12 steps, please. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Philomena, uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, The Twelve Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Philomena. I will now ask Melanie to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders ever trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute your phone. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 49, very last paragraph on the page, beginning with, we who have traveled. And I will ask Rick to begin reading, please. Good morning, Rick, compulsive overeater. We who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. We have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually-minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, 
happiness and usefulness which we should have sought ourselves. Well, we'll go back to the first sentence. We who have traveled this dubious path. Well, what, what dubious path? The dubious, uncertain, questionable, debatable. That path is what they're talking about in the previous paragraph and most of this chapter. Um, they're talking about uh, agnostics. They're talking about atheists who chose to believe that a human intelligence was the last word, that a human intelligence was our higher power. And that's what they're calling a dubious path, that believing that self-will and uh, intelligence was going to save, save us from compulsive overeating. And um, what they do is they go back into the, in the paragraph, and they're talking about, they're giving some credit to religious people. They're giving credit to people of faith. They're giving credit to people that believed in God in an organized way. And they're uh, kind of setting the stage for the possibility that um, those of us that, that don't believe might just have a, uh, a little bit of a crack open in the door and might find their way back or the way into a, a way of life that they're, they're explaining wasn't so bad. And you go to the bottom, the, the last paragraph, um, and they're, they're giving credit. They're saying these people had happiness and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. So they're, you know, they're starting to make the turn in this chapter, you know, from just saying it's okay, you know, if you're agnostic or atheist, to giving us a, a little viewpoint, a little glimpse of what it could be like if we if we believed, and what it would be like if we joined those people of faith that had a God in their life. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Rick. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Is this is Sally. May I share? Sure. I heard Sally and then Kim. Sally, why don't you go ahead first? Thank you. Uh, this is Sally from South Jersey, recovered compulsive reader. We who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice. Uh, this word dubious means questionable or debatable. So what they're saying is we, again, it's Bill, it's, it's the first hundred, it's uh, Dr. Bob, who have traveled this questionable, debatable path, beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this, this, their state of mind. And um, when we go back to page XVI, we see Dr. Bob's step two when he reached this point where he was at the same moment when he was looking at this questionable, debatable path, this dubious path. It says, this physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. But when the broker gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. And when we look at, um, at Bill W's step two, 
I'm sure that it's, it's spoken of more than once, but on page um, 12, and actually, um, I just wanted to go back to uh, page 9 where it's where Epi Thatcher first comes to see Bill, and he says to him at his kitchen table, I've got religion. Bill's response was, I was aghast. But it goes on on page 12 to describe Bill's step two. It says here, my friend suggested when what then seemed a novel idea, he said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. And that's what's being spoken of here on page 49. We who have traveled this questionable, debatable path beg you to lay aside prejudice to be willing to make a start, a beginning. Thank you for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm going to use that same sentence that Sally just used, that we beg you to lay aside prejudice. But I'm going to come at it from a different angle. I'm going to be talking to the people like me who spent a decade coming in and out of OA. Maybe you spent two decades. Maybe you spent three decades coming in and out of OA. And I'm going to beg you to lay aside prejudice about what you think OA is. Beg you to lay aside prejudice of what you think the 12 steps is. Because so many of us have these, these skewed ideas of what the 12 steps are. What are those prejudices? What are those prejudices we have against OA? and against 12 steps. Well, big one I know is, you know, I can either put the food down and work the steps, or I can work the steps and hopefully get the food down. You know, I can treat these 12 steps like a buffet, and I can pick and choose which of these steps I want to do on any given day. I think the tools are enough. If I just work the tools, I'll stay abstinent. I, this God thing is I don't want to deal with this, but I'm going to worship my food plan. I am going to worship my food plan, and that will make me better. You know, these 12 steps are only suggestions. And one of my favorites is take what you want and leave the rest. Because I, can, I, only, I don't have to do everything. Those are the, and the big one I think is too that the alcohol is different. In OA, we cannot recover because alcoholics simply have to not drink. We, as OA people, we have to eat. And those are not true. Let me tell you, you have to put the food down first in order to work these steps. These steps have to be worked in order. A food plan is not enough. If it was, we wouldn't need OA that the tools are to be utilized to help us work these steps. The tools are not an end in of themselves. And although the 12 steps are suggested as a whole, once we decide to do those 12 steps, there are a lot of musts and there are a lot of has-tos. 
And when we say take what you want and leave the rest, we're talking about people's opinions when they're sharing in the rooms of OA. When we are working this program of recovery out of this book, we have to apply it as it said. And let me tell you last and foremost that in OA you can recover. Because you know what? Alcoholics do drink. They just don't drink alcohol. Compulsive overeaters eat, but I do not eat my binge foods. And the true miracle of the 12-step program and the program of Overeaters Anonymous is not that I won't have to eat today. The miracle is I don't want to eat today. So the bottom line is I beg you to lay aside the prejudice. It's because this program isn't for people who need it. This program isn't even for people that want it. This program is for people that do it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula Mashia. You sure can. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you, and thank you also for your service. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'm going to drop it down to the last sentence. In the long sentence it is, often describing my life as it was. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritual-minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds, were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness which we should have sought ourselves. That part, amuse ourselves by cynically, well, if they were this, they would be doing that. How can they judge me, yet here I was judging them? And by the way, spiritual beliefs and practices, not to worry, I would leave none out. It wouldn't just be my own faith or my own religion. It would be all. Everyone was lacking. Never saw the lacking was in me. And then it goes on. We might have observed. We might have seen what was right there. There it was all the time. You know, J.C. Penney was 95 when he died, and he says, oh, my vision is so poor, but I see so much better now. Many spiritual-minded persons of all races, now look at includes all colors and creeds, were demonstrating. See, they were living what they were saying. A degree of stability. Stability? Stability? You believe the same thing every day? You're the same person every day? God doesn't come in and out of your life at will? A tipping God, you do it my way? Hey, I'm with you, God, all the way. You don't, I walk the other way. But look at what they demonstrated. Look at what was there. Happiness. All the things that I actually wanted. And usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves, but sought with all of myself. As Herbert Spencer says, the bar must come down. The bar is what holds us back, those prejudices. Once it's raised, oh my then finally sight is revealed and we see finally so much more that we needed to see to go on. And yes, it was described here, the 12 steps, as as was being said, 12 steps is like a capsule that you take from medicine on a daily basis. And in this capsule, there are 12 ingredients. As you see the 12 steps intertwined, all coming together, don't take one out. It won't do the, the same, the effect will not be the same every day, 
but you must take it every day. And then truly you do have a life, finally, of stability, happiness, and usefulness. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Pamela? Pamela, go ahead. I'm Pamela. I'm a compulsive eater, not yet recovered on day nine of abstinence. Thank you so much for your service. I'm in step two on my process, and um, well, some would say step one, but I have to say that I discovered my um, underlying prejudices um, by trying to expand my spiritual life and go to church for the first time. I didn't know that I had prejudice until I was in the environment. Um, I had prided myself on being tolerant simply because I had never been around organized religion. (laughs) So I discovered my many prejudices when I failed to find a fellowship and saw that my bars were closing over my mind um, And really what it is is um, there's this deep-down insecurity that other people have a love and a fellowship that I'm not capable of. Um, Deep down, my problem, I know, is an inability to form a true partnership and just give me organized religion where everybody is in partnership, not only with each other but with God, and finding usefulness and love and service, you know, at a worldwide level. And and I'm at home in a pint of you-know-what, and it's like, whoa. Um, so um, I have laid aside my prejudice uh, simply because I have now discovered that I have it. And so um, I, you can't lay aside something you don't know you have. I could skip right over this paragraph for years. Oh, I'm fine with that. Check. You know, and um, I have come to see, you know, food the great persuader is that I had these underlying um, things. And so what I'm doing about it now is, um, keeping a very open mind and um, and trying not to let fear uh, keep me away from um, what I might find that I also might join the human race and um, you know um, so that's all I wanted to share this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pamela. Well, I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'll um, jump in and uh, speak on some of these these passages, actually, that last sentence as well, that really speaks to me. You know, we used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually-minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. And I'm the type of person that, you know, made a decision you know, at a very early age, at the age of 10 or so, I decided, you know, two things. A, I don't anymore, and B, I was not going to believe in religion anymore. I mean, that's, you know, I, and I pretty much stuck to that. You know, I, I didn't play with Barbies again, and I didn't set, you know, did not believe in religion anymore. And so, you know, you can imagine when I came to OA and was told that this was a spiritual program and that, you know, I I was going to need to turn my life and my will over to a power greater than myself, um, I, you know, I bristled at that idea. I bristled at that idea. And from 1994 until 2001, you know, I got hung up on that idea. That and a food plan, those two things got me really hung up. And, um you know, my disease will do anything to get in there and, you know, you know, detract me from um, the task at hand, which, of course, is to recover. 
And I wanted more than anything the degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness. I wanted that more than anything. And um, I just didn't want to have to work for it. You know, I just I thought it should come to me automatically because it seemed to come to other people automatically. And I, I just never wanted to work for anything. I wanted to sit on the couch with remote control in one hand, hand in a bag of food, you know, other hand in a bag of food, and I wanted to magically have a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness. And by the way, I'd like to be thin and rich if at all possible, and I, I really don't want to have to do anything for it. I don't want to have to lift a finger. I don't want to have to think about it. And um, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. You know, I had to have a complete transformation of thought and attitude. You know, my, my heart and my mind were both shut. They were shut. They were closed off. Now, I couldn't see beyond, you know, the edge of the bowl I was eating out of. And, uh, you know, this big book has me nailed. They know me. They know how I think. You know, if, and if I can identify in and say, yeah, that's exactly what I used to do. I mean, how mean is that? That's like, you know, that's like working apart the way somebody feels. I had no right to do that. I have no right to question what other people believe in. And, and yet that's exactly what I used to do, um, which again is a way for me to distract myself from you know, developing my own concept, developing my own concept. And that's what working the steps has been for me. You know, develop your own concept, Christy, and you know, let these steps unfold. Walk through them and, you know, with other people who have worked the steps. And my mind and heart have been transformed as the result of working these steps. And I'm so grateful to, for that, that today I do have a belief in a power greater than myself, that I can turn my life and my will over. And that is nothing short of a miracle, absolute miracle in my life. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph? This is Leah. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually-minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. Again, we're in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, We Without Knowledge. So the big book, you know, is is uh, doing its best to try to, you know, <laughs> to... Open our minds. I mean, we all come here with different experiences. You know, perhaps some of us are still harboring childhood anger at God because, you know, we were disappointed. Uh, you know, maybe there was uh, some tragedies which occurred in childhood or some difficulties. And due to the severity of those experiences, um, you know, some of us rejected God because he didn't relieve our pain. You know, because he seemed to be the source of our pain, so we reject him. Or there's the type, you know, more like myself that, uh, you know, believed in, in self-will and, and my ability to manage my own life, and I perceived I just didn't have a relationship with God. Uh, you know, I just thought it was a crutch and, and for weak-willed individuals who were incapable of managing their own lives. <laughs> That's all. You know, so I, I had no... 
development in that area. I just had no development in that area. I was stunted spiritually. So the big book here is taking this paragraph to say, you know what? What about observing that many spiritually minded people of all races, colors, and creeds are demonstrating a degree of stability, a degree of rootedness. Uh, They are rooted in something which stabilizes them. And that's exactly what the program of recovery offers people. We offer people an opportunity to observe that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds, because that's what recovered people are made up of. You know, we are, we are different kinds of people, all different types of people, all different backgrounds, people who would normally not mix. And yet we come together all different pieces, like, like pieces of a mosaic that when put together create a picture of hope and represent the stability, happiness, and usefulness which is possible through this process which offers us a relationship with a God of our own personal and individual understanding. How do we have this stability? Well, we have this stability because we are rooted in something that is universal and um, and allows us the acid test of living through life um, without caving in you know we we have this opportunity to be governed by something greater than ourselves and that is the principles of the program and we have a depth to us we're stabilized we're rooted in something we all become deeper when we struggle to grow (laughs) when we struggle to grow emotionally morally psychologically you know through this process we deepen we struggle and we deepen and that and that that stabilizes just like roots of a tree. The deeper the roots are, the more spread out and broad those roots are, the more stabilized the tree is, the, the greater the ability for the tree to withstand harsh winds and rains. That's exactly what happens in the program of recovery. We become rooted in something deep. That, deep, that depth comes from a relationship with God, which has been made possible through the implementation of these steps. And the continuance of these steps in 10 and 11 and 12, where we continue to grow and and deepen and strengthen that relationship with God. How do we have happiness? Well, happiness is a byproduct. You know, happiness is only achievable when uh, there is something, when we pursue something that's that's greater than happiness itself. You know, we're pursuing happiness. Uh, becoming better people, we're pursuing becoming the best that that our individual gods uh, allow us to be. Our individual higher powers allow us to be, and and we have a depth and meaning in that process. We 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 have lives that are meaningful, lives that are rich, that have purpose. You know, it it allows for happiness. It allows for happiness because we have a sense of peace of mind, a sense of purpose. We have recovered and we have been given the power to help other people. That's where usefulness comes in. We now have had an experience which is uncommon. You know, we are a unique group of people. We are unique. Compulsive overeaters are a unique group of people. And recovered compulsive overeaters are even more rare and unique. 
And like the book says, we, we have recovered. We have been given the power to help others. So now we have an ability to, to give of ourselves. And the peace of mind and the sense of self-worth that derives from this pursuit of serving other people uh, allows us a true and happiness. You know, it's, it's not a duty that's imposed from the outside. It comes from an energy that is generated from within, an energy to give out. And out of that process, we become very happy, contented, stabilized people. And that is living proof of this program of recovery. That is living proof of the program of recovery, living proof that some power greater than ourselves has offered us this way of life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move to the next one? I'll take that as a no. Let's move to the next paragraph. Deborah, will you please read that first paragraph on page 50 for us, please? Hi, Deborah, good can you? Oh, hi, go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Devorah from New Jersey, a recovered food, recovered uh, compulsive overeater. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes use their shortcomings as a basis of wholesome condemnation. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. And basically, this paragraph, I, I say, describes me when I came into this program. I knew better. I knew I didn't have to do these things. I just figured, okay, let me just uh, take this diet and follow it, and I can be out of here. Um, but, you know, and I, I, I tolerated it. I went along with it. I listened, and I was very... Um, I begrudged the fact that I had to do these things. And then, I, you know, my mind was not getting better. You know, I followed along, I followed along, but knowing that I thought I had a better way, an easier, softer way, but my mind was getting sicker and sicker. And I realized that I had to really surrender um, my, my way and, and start working the 12 steps and, um, so that I could see so I can see the uh, the beauty out there and focus on the on the good out there and um, and become the person that uh, that God wants me to be and not live in my head. So um, that's all I have, and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula, may I share? Sure, Paula, go ahead. I'm going to start with that word, instead. And I'm going to go back just that sentence. Instead of looking at the degree of stability, their happiness and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. No, that's not what I looked at. I needed to justify my argument. Dubious path it was that would take me nowhere but a circle. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people. And, of course, they had them, still being human. And sometimes used their shortcomings, what they did, 
as a basis. Oh, that was the foundation of wholesale, wholesale condemnation. I would leave none out. We talked of intolerance. Oh, isn't that something? What I talked of is what I did. Oh, look at that. Look at them. This is what they say. And this line, we missed the reality. Well, see, that was it. I never saw the reality even of my disease, where it was taking me. I didn't see that. I thought I was taking it. And the beauty of the forest, because we were diverted, and that was it, by the ugliness of some of its trees. There again, humankind. We were all different. We were all varied. But the beauty, instead, my focus was on the ones that were not so beautiful as like myself. And what happens? We missed. We missed the reality. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share? Hello, this is Meg. May I share? Sure, Meg. Go ahead. Meg and then Amy. Go ahead, Meg. Thank you. Um, Thank you. This is Meg, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that not everyone who has God claims God, just as not everyone who claims God has God. And when you look at communities of people who claim God, you may see those people who don't have God, and you may think, oh, well, that means nothing. That means that God isn't good. That means that I'll just throw the baby out with the bathwater. But the fact of the matter is, is that wherever we go, people are human. And each human has his, their own individual relationship with God. And so we can't base this, these preconceptions off of what we see. We must focus on our own relationship. Otherwise, we'll spend all day criticizing all of the other humans who are struggling in this, struggling with our own humanness. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Meg. Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater, recovered from Maryland. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. If we go to the back of the big book on page 184 of the spiritual experience, it says, most emphatically, we wish to say to any alcoholic or compulsive overeater, capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. Again, we're in the chapters, as others have said, of agnostics. And what is agnostics? Without knowledge. And I can tell you from my experience, I was not only without knowledge, I was a little bit a step further or more dangerous, if you will, because I thought I had knowledge, but that knowledge was wrong. You know, we talk about reality in this paragraph, what my reality was, what my knowledge was, and what I thought I knew of God and of, and of religion, much less spirituality, which was faulty, to say the least. And I judged, and I was intolerant. My mind was closed. 
I judged people. I, I heard what they said to me about God, and then I saw them do other things. You know, I, I was listening to what they were saying, and then I judged them by our, their actions. Talk about being um, a hypocrite. That's what I was because I was doing the same thing. How many times did I say I was going to do what I was going to do, but I never did it? Can you imagine what I thought other people were thinking of me? I was being judged as well, and I was judging others. And I was living a life of a lie as an active compulsive overeater. I lied to myself. I lied to everyone around me. I kept trying and trying to say and do what I was going to say. That makes sense. I would say what I was going to do, but I couldn't. And I come to compulsive overeating. I become beaten and pummeled by this disease. I'm dying of this disease. I come to Overeaters Anonymous and they tell me I need to believe in something other than myself. I need to believe in God. And I struggle and struggle with that in and out of the rooms for years because I wouldn't let go. I was belligerently making an effort to belligerently denial and close, deny and close my mind to what was in front of me. And these people who had recovered, they were doing what they were saying. And we're not here to convince you to believe in my God or a specific God. We're just trying to convince you to embark on that journey yourself to be open-minded and willing enough to embark on that journey. This program is open to all spiritual concepts, any belief that you want. I remember my sponsor always said to me over and over again for years, that hung with me and said, I don't care if you think it's Jesus, Buddha, or the universal vibes of a tree, as long as it isn't you. I was willing to embark on my journey with just that, with just that being open-minded and letting go of that belligerent denial that said, oh, I have all this experience, I've seen it, and I can see how faulty it is. But I couldn't deny the results, what I was seeing in the program of recovered people who have gone before and said, all you have to do is an open mind. And they stood before me saying, we are recovered by just starting with this. And now we have a concept of a higher power through working the transformative steps of the 12 steps, the transformation of the 12 steps. They evolved. And they stood before me recovered. I couldn't deny that anymore. I couldn't deny that. They were stable. They were grounded. They weren't wanting to binge anymore. And I was willing to try based on that, based on what I saw and what they were doing. And I was no longer going to belligerently deny. And I was going to face a new reality, a new reality of hope, a reality that says, your reality looks pretty good to me because my reality, I'm dying here. But your reality looks good, and I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a try. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Leanne. Leanne, go ahead. This is is Leanne from Massachusetts. I'm a recovering uh, compulsive overeater. We looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a basis of wholesome condemnation. We looked of... We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. And how this speaks to me, it reminds me of uh, the relationship that I had had with my mother. And, you know, it was a very tumultuous relationship and um, it and, uh, certainly wasn't one that I'd ever wish on my daughter. But um, I, I had this way of looking at all of my mother's defects. And, um, and I often talked of my intolerance of her and her behavior. And... You know, it was so frustrating because I remember growing up and people would often say to me, oh, you're so much like my your mother. And then I would get so frustrated because the last person I wanted to be like was my mother. And that was a really sad thing. 
But having, you know, worked with the sponsor and I really, you know, I went through the steps at that time and I wish I could say that I was struck abstinence after all this. But anyway, the the point is, is that I went through that and really looked at my behavior around this whole situation, this whole relationship that I had at my mother and how I constantly looked at her defects and my intolerance of her and what I realized was that the behaviors that I liked least in her were the behaviors that I was capable of. And it was difficult for me to be able to look at the behaviors that she had because I I saw her in myself and I didn't want to see it in myself. And And that was what was frustrating to me. And that's what I've learned as a result of this program and working with the sponsor is that when I am intolerant of others, and when I am quick to look at the defects of others, I better step back and look at myself and really determine, really do some soul searching here. Am I capable of this too? Because if I wasn't capable of this, if I didn't identify with this, whether or not I even wanted to see it, then it wouldn't bother me. And so, you know, because my mother had these behaviors and I identified with them and I hated them in myself, it bothered me even more. When I when I was able to go through the steps and I saw that I was capable of this too, I in fact had, you know, these defects as well, and I was able to do turnarounds on them and I was able to make amends and I was able to work through them, all of a sudden it was like, you know, the curtain was lifted and then I was able to see the beauty in my mother and I was able to really look at, you know, her character traits that I admired and thank you God you know, I was able to work through all of this before she died so that we could, our relationship could be restored. But those last years of her life were amazing. Because of the work that I had done, people would turn and say, oh, you're so much like your mother. And I was so thrilled because all of a sudden, you know, I, I was able to look at her and appreciate for the person that she was because I had come to term with my own defects and my own intolerances about my own behavior. So when I look at this, it's not so much about me looking at the defects of others as much as it is me looking at the mirror and really coming to terms with the person I am and those character traits that I like least about myself. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. And I heard Katie. Katie, go ahead. Good morning, this is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And the sentence, um, we talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. Um, you know, I came to believe in a power greater than myself when I was very young. So it was confusing for me why, you know, it just didn't work for me. And when I came, um, was around people who were recovered, I thought I already knew all about God and that God didn't care about um, Katie's food problems. So I had to uh, stop being intolerant of myself and have an open mind to give, um, as it says in this last sentence, we never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. And I had to put aside my prejudices about my own experience that I had had up to that point and surrender to the idea that it might be slightly different than what I um, had been viewing it before. And, you know, putting the food down 
And as Kim stated, not wanting to pick it back up, you know, did not come from me. It did not come from me having, you know, the perfect food plan. It didn't come from me, you know, making my food in a way that I enjoyed it better. And so I wouldn't want more. I mean, it was nothing short of a miracle. Um, You know, I still eat today, but I don't overeat. And I don't eat my binge food. And I don't think about my binge food. That came from a surrender to a higher power who can do for me what I cannot do for myself. And I couldn't um, find that on my own. I had to believe in what I saw working in other people's lives. And as that developed, I started to uh, change. And, you know, it's not something that I can bottle up and give to someone. It's an internal job. Um, And I spent, you know, a long time looking at other people, trying to duplicate what they were doing um, on the outside without making internal changes. And it can seem so, you know, like how can, how how does this work? But, you know, it really is um, a simple process of surrender on a daily basis. And I'm just grateful that I have let go of the condemnation and the um, closed mind that I had to think that I um, that I already knew it all because I had been, you know, religious from a small child. I had to let go of my uh, ideas and surrender in a new way. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Before we move to the Hi, next one. Sheila. Sheila, go ahead. Hi, this is Sheila H. from New York Compulsive Overeater. I wanted to identify in um, the intolerance piece spoke very loud to me. I didn't realize how much um, I would intoler- have intolerance against others. And most of the time when I did, it was true. It was, I heard this morning and it was very much reached to my heart. Those people that I had the most intolerance with with characteristics in them that I also thought I might have, and I didn't want to have them, didn't like them. And when I saw them in others, it was like I had absolutely no patience. You know, even in church, the closer and more involved I got in church, the more human I saw that the people that ran the church and the more judgment I made of them, to the point at one point I had left because it was just so many things going on. And um, I had put the folks in the church at a higher pedestal and I did make judgment and had opinions on how I thought they should live and act and what they should do and not do. Again, that was me playing my own demigod world. Um, so I was happy to hear that today. I did manage to have a healing service and make peace with um, this particular church, but I did move on. But also in my own private life, I heard someone that I identify with the intolerance of my mom. My mom is so, I think I'm so different than her. At least I like to think I'm different. Um, But then we have so much alike too, and um, there's no time to go into that whole story. But I definitely identified with my lack of patience and patience with people and my tolerance with them, particularly those in the church. The closer I got, the more involved I got, the more judgmental I got until I kind of had to step back 
and um, realize that these are human beings and they and are not put should not be put on pedestals and that um the God that I am seeking lives within me and not to make anyone here on earth a God, you know, for that um I'm grateful for that lesson and I'm grateful to be able to continue to work on my relationship with my mom. And with that I pass. Thank you, Sheila. Any I thought I heard someone else. Anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Let's move on to the next uh, paragraph. Kim, would you go ahead, please? In our I'm sorry. Or... Go ahead, Kim. Well, did someone else want to share? I was unmuting. No, go ahead. Uh, did someone else want to share on this paragraph? Um, yeah, I'm Florence in Virginia. I'm so grateful to have found these meetings, and I'm I'm... I'm um, pretty new in the program, although I've had a really good physical recovery. And um, but I, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a smart ass, and and I, I just love the. Um, I feel like I've dialed into like a bunch of angels. I, I I think the sharing is so so thorough and such high quality. I I can't believe it that I you know found you all. And I I just want to say on this topic that. Um, you know, I've 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 got some weird craziness around churches because I I do have a belief in a higher power, but something keeps me from joining. And I know I actually probably irritate people by attending and not joining. And and that's my way to figure out whether this is how crazy this is. I'm sorry if it's a little convoluted, but like like if they condemn me for that, then I say, well, see, they they weren't what they are to begin with, you know, or pretending to be. So it's like. I'm, I'm loneliness is an issue for me, and and yet I I won't like like take the solution. Like I won't like it's like not working the tools in in our our common um, vocabulary. But um, I I really feel a lot of hope uh, listening to all of you, and um, that I can kind of get past this fear, doubt, and insecurity, and that I don't have to have all the answers. Um, and that there is a solution today. So so thank you for being there, all you angels, and thanks for letting me share. And what was your name? Oh, it's Florence. I, I've been on a Florence. Oh, thank thank you so much, Florence. And hey, hold off for just a second, Kim. Was there anyone else who wanted to share? Kim, why don't you go ahead? We'll have time for your read and share. Okay. Thanks, Kristen. In our personal stories, we will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with a practical approach or a conception seems to make little difference. Experience has taught us that these matters about which for our purpose we need not be worried. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. And I'm just going to zone in on that one sentence. Whether we agree with the particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. You know, this is, is why this program is so broad and roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive. We are not being told how to believe. What we are being told here, what we're being taught here, is that we need a higher power. And however that higher power manifests in our life, whether it's through organized religion or not, whether it's principles or a specific deity, it doesn't matter. 
Because what we need to recognize is if we are powerless, then we're going to need to find a power. So we are being told that we are beyond human aid. And when we make human beings our gods, when we worship money or success or relationship or even a particular religion, religious leader or something, that they're always going to fail us because they are human. So we need to find this higher power. And it doesn't really matter how that manifests in our life. In fact, we are encouraged to explore. So what happens in step two, we, we recognize, we come to that conclusion that we need that power. That motivates us to work these steps, to take the action steps of four through nine after we make the decision in step three. We start to practice these, these, this skill set of step 10, and then in step 11, we get to play. We get to play. We get to try out different concepts. We get to, to try out different ways of how we can connect more because now that we've gone through these steps, we've had this access. We have this access to a power. So although I had many beliefs, I didn't have access to that power. And we were told this earlier in the book on page 29. It says, each individual in the personal stories described in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. This book is not telling us how to stop drinking. This book is not telling us how to stop eating. This book is telling us how we can get a relationship with a higher power so we no longer want to eat. We no longer want to drink. And whatever that conception is, whatever those practices are, however that manifests in our life, it makes little difference because we are all united on the one solution, which is a higher power, however that manifests in your life. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Paula, will you please read vision for you? This is Paula, finding the page, and here I am. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.